0: from the newsroom of The Washington Post. It's Robert Samuels from The Washington Post.
1: Post, this is Sarah Kaplan. Hi, this is Elahi Azadi with The Washington Post. Hey.
0: This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, April 19th. Today, how an Indiana red flag law failed to stop a mass shooting, and the violent fallout from Brexit in Northern Ireland.
1: Late last Thursday in Indianapolis, a gunman, a 19-year-old former employee, shot and killed eight people in a FedEx sorting facility.
0: Paulina Ferozzi is a breaking news reporter for The Post.
2: To my fellow Hoosiers, we've come together today in a moment of unspeakable tragedy for our community. We've lost eight of our neighbors to a senseless act of violence. I want to thank the family, the friends, and the loved ones who showed up today. You know, as we grieve together, we send our deepest sympathies to everyone affected.
1: What we know about the eight people killed in Thursday's shooting is that they ranged in age from 19 to 74 years old. And four of those killed were members of the Sikh community.
0: And I want to avoid getting into too much detail about the shooter, but what do we know about how this person obtained a gun and some of the circumstances that led up to the shooting?
1: So what we know is that the suspect had legally purchased two assault rifles. He did so in July and September, and the police have not said where he purchased those guns, but we do know that he purchased them legally and he purchased them at a licensed gun store. And one thing to note here is that he did so sort of months after His mother had contacted law enforcement to say that she was worried about her son wanting to attempt suicide by cop. He was then 18. And law enforcement seized a shotgun from his home, and we know that police uh, did not return that gun to him, and he was then placed under a temporary mental health hold. So, Paulina, you mentioned the term suicide by cop. What exactly
0: does that mean?
1: Right, so suicide... By police, you know, would happen when a person sort of behaves in a manner that is meant to sort of threaten or in, intended to provoke police to shoot them.
0: So, law enforcement were worried about him enough back then that they took a firearm away from his possession, but he was still allowed to buy more firearms legally.
1: So, Indiana has what is called an extreme risk protection law and and it's sometimes commonly referred to as a red flag law but under that law it allows law enforcement to seize a firearm from someone who is considered to be a risk to themselves or a risk to others and so that's what allowed police last year to take a shotgun from someone you know after his mother had expressed concern about him and that's sort of the process that that allowed them to take the shotgun that they found in his home and also place him under a temporary mental health hold what happened after that is sort of the question marks that are still left in this case. So under that same red flag or extreme risk protection law, there is a process that can happen after that firearm is taken. If a court proceeding had taken place and a judge had, had deemed this person, this individual, dangerous, then he would have been added to a purchase prohibition list and basically his record would have been entered into a system, an FBI system, that would have prevented him from buying those two rifles that he bought months later. So, so so, then why didn't that happen?
0: Why wasn't this person placed on some kind of list that would have sent off a warning when he tried to buy more guns?
1: To back up a bit and sort of explain the steps that took place here, last March and his mother you know, expressed concern to law enforcement Law enforcement places him in a temporary mental health hold, and they seize his shotgun. Um, And in fact, a month later, in April of 2020, FBI interviewed him. What would have needed to happen from there is that a court proceeding would need to take place and a judge would need to make a, a determination in order for this individual's record to go into an FBI system to later prohibit him from being able to buy a gun. That court proceeding did not take place, and police are not sure what happened. They say that it would have been up to the prosecutor's office to pursue that case, and they say they don't know what happened, and and, and so... It is unclear if a hearing ever took place or a court proceeding ever took place, and the prosecutor's office did not respond to questions as to whether they pursued a case against this individual. So the question here then is whether this
0: red flag law in Indiana was just improperly executed in this case, like if the procedures that were put in place weren't actually followed, or if this is more a shortcoming with the law itself.
1: I think that's um, exactly right. And, And we spoke with sort of experts and advocates that say, you know, a law is only as good as the way that it's implemented, you know, and one advocate called it sort of a failure of implementation under Indiana's law. There are steps that could have taken place that could have denied this individual the ability to buy those two rifles that he bought last year but we don't know why those steps didn't take place. We just know that there was no proceeding that would have made that determination to deny him those guns.
0: So how does this particular shooting and the questions around the implementation of this one law in Indiana, how does that inform our conversation about gun control on a federal level?
1: Earlier this year, the House passed a... Uh, bill requiring background checks for all gun buyers. And now that's something that senators led by Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, are working on trying to see um, if they can work behind the scenes to strike a deal with Republicans on that bill. And and that's a bill on background checks. So that bill doesn't include anything on on red flag laws, which is what, what we were talking about in Indiana. But that is, you know, something that background checks and expanding background checks is something that lawmakers have been trying to pass for some time and there's been a lot of gridlock on this issue for years. One thing that Senator Murphy, you know, said to us over the weekend after this uh, latest mass shooting in Indianapolis is that perhaps chances of of seeing legislation on this on background checks pass could be higher now because, you know, as we have seen time and again, when there is a high-profile shooting, it does sort of increase the urgency around passing legislation and getting something done. And so he said that he hoped that it might spur Republicans to work with him and, and get something passed. Is that true, though, this idea
0: that mass shootings increase the urgency around getting something passed on this? Because I feel like my takeaway from the last decade would be that despite mass shootings happening, there actually still isn't that much action on this, even though the circumstances are as dire and urgent as ever.
1: Yeah, it does sort of feel like a cycle that repeats. You know, we we see a mass shooting and whether it's the president or whether it's lawmakers sort of call for action and advocates and activists seize on that opportunity to push for change. We haven't really seen this change happen yet? And I think that's sort of what advocates and now again, the senator that we spoke to over the weekend was sort of pointing to and saying, maybe this will spur that change.
0: We've also seen President Biden making promises to act unilaterally to the extent that he can to try to do something about gun violence and mass shootings. What have we seen from him in terms of executive actions and whether those are actually steps that can really change the situation?
1: Yeah, so we saw President Biden earlier this month announce sort of a series of executive actions that are meant to curb gun violence. I continue and I strongly, strongly urge my republican friends in the congress who even refused to bring up the house passed bill to bring it up now this has to end it's a national embarrassment it is a national embarrassment what's going on in fact one of those actions was to call on the Justice Department to create guidance for states on this red flag issue. So one thing that experts and advocates of gun control legislation pointed out to us over the weekend was that unlike in Indiana where law enforcement is the one to file a petition for a court proceeding to to take someone's gun away or to deny someone the the chance to buy a gun, in some states, family is also able to petition a court To make that happen. And Biden's model legislation for red flag laws includes allowing family to be the ones to petition the court to to temporarily block someone in crisis from getting a gun.
0: So even as Democrats in Congress and President Biden are pushing for more gun control legislation. I think it is striking that in this case in Indiana, this red flag law didn't actually help. And I wonder if that supports the argument that you hear from Republicans that gun control legislation doesn't actually prevent mass shootings.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, we heard this argument and we heard... You know, folks bring this up after the Boulder shooting earlier this year. You know, Colorado has a red flag law as well and say, you know, maybe they don't work. Maybe they don't do what they're supposed to do. And Senator Roy Blunt, in an interview with The Washington Post last week, said while he's not opposed to looking at background checks and red flag laws, you know, he said he's not sure that legislation would have prevented the shootings that already happened. And and, and he said it has not been the case in the past.
0: Well, I'm not opposed to looking at things like uh, background checks and red flag laws and other things. I'm not at all sure that any of this legislation would have prevented the events that have already occurred.
1: And obviously here you have experts and advocates pointing to Indiana's law and saying maybe it wasn't implemented correctly. You also have experts sort of saying that that what the law is meant to do and why it's important is that it's really creating distance and time sort of between the purchasing of the gun and the crisis that the person is in. Another reason that these red flag laws at least get a lot of support is that they're not sort of a categorical prohibition of guns. It's a case-by-case basis. When we're talking about red flag laws, experts say it's really one strategy. It's one you know, tool in, in trying to prevent these mass shootings, these mass events of violence. And, and while it might not be the only tool that's necessary, and I think that's what you're seeing lawmakers try to address now with expanded background checks and other legislation in Congress, red flag laws at least are sort of an important tool in the strategies that states and, and federal legislators sort of need to address to, to prevent violence.
0: Paulina Ferozzi covers national and breaking news for The Post. Ariel Plotnick produced this story. So Amanda, tell me, what has been happening in Northern Ireland? It's been a pretty toxic melting
2: pot. Police in Northern Ireland have used water cannon tonight as more petrol bombs and fireworks were thrown on the seventh night of violence on the streets of Belfast. And we have seen street violence. We've seen rioting on the streets, which has been happening for about a dozen different reasons. The clashes between Catholic and Protestant communities last night were some of the worst violence they have seen in recent years. So, you know, a lot of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is uh, insecurity about the future, about the changing demographics of Northern Ireland. The sort of inbuilt uh, unionist majority doesn't exist anymore.
0: Amanda Ferguson is a journalist in Belfast. She's been reporting on the violence in Northern Ireland earlier this month. This violence is rooted in a conflict that's lasted for decades between two groups. There are the pro-British Protestant Unionists and Loyalists. They want Northern Ireland to remain with the UK. And then there are the Catholic Nationalists and Republicans. They want Northern Ireland to reunite with the rest of Ireland. In 1998, the U.S. helped broker a peace deal between the two sides. It was called the Good Friday Agreement. But that deal did not mean total harmony. And now, with Britain leaving the European Union and a trade deal on the line, Northern Ireland is once again confronting these questions around
2: identity. There was always conversations about among people about whether they wanted to remain part of the UK or whether they wanted to be part of a united Ireland. And what Brexit has done, the UK's decision to leave, the EU has done, is accelerate those conversations. So we're hearing people talking more and more about their European identity, what the future looks like. Because Northern Ireland is a tiny part, it's like 3% of the UK, and it voted to remain in the European Union, but because it was a UK wide decision, it meant that Northern Ireland had to leave with the rest of the UK. So that's disturbed a lot of people uh, of various backgrounds. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't realise that their Europeanness meant a lot to them until that kind of happened. So violence does happen and and recreational violence can happen in the place that I'm from. Uh, So that all sort of feeds into it. So then
0: would you say that the Brexit element of this is what's really driving this conflict in the streets right now? Or are there other facets to this, too, that is bringing people out and sparking the riots?
2: Tension has been building for weeks among the British Unionist loyalist community in Northern Ireland over what they see as a betrayal by the UK government and by the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. They're unhappy that Northern Ireland hasn't exited the EU on the same terms as Scotland, England and Wales. What the arrangement was that they came up with was a withdrawal agreement that had something called the Northern Ireland Protocol, which meant that it would create new customs and regulatory processes on trade between Britain and Northern Ireland. And that is the thing that's upsetting people who would, in Northern Ireland who are from a unionist, uh, loyalist, pro-British background. What they're saying is that Northern Ireland is being treated differently to the rest of the UK. It didn't get the same Brexit as the rest of the UK. They would view it perhaps as a a sort of slippery slope to an economic United Ireland. Northern Ireland is still part of the UK. It just has a different trade arrangement at the moment, which uh, I think all sides would would, would agree needs to be finessed. But it doesn't mean that there's suddenly a United Ireland. So tell me a little
0: bit about the kinds of scenes that you have witnessed.
2: It started up in in, uh, the Northwest, in, in, in Derry, and it was mainly focused as attacks on the police. Some of the scenes that we saw included police being attacked with petrol bombs and fireworks and masonry. Some of the other scenes that were witnessed was a rioter setting himself on fire uh, with a petrol bomb. It exploded while he was trying to throw it at police. A bus was also hijacked at one point. The driver and the passengers were ordered off the bus and then it was set on fire. Now, when people started to become really interested in what was happening here was whenever the violence took a sectarian flavour, whenever it became one of the so-called protests that was due to take place in what would be described in Northern Ireland as an interface area, they're very badly named uh, peace walls, which is essentially huge, giant physical structures, either gates or walls that separate communities from each other. So it would separate uh, perhaps a working-class loyalist community from a a working-class Irish nationalist Republican community and it could be somewhere where uh, violence has flared in the past. So it felt that it was provocative that one of these sort of um, anti-Brexit, you know, unhappy with the police protests was brought to an interface. Because
0: these are places that have so much history
2: and in some cases
0: symbolize like the peace that was established or that there's no longer violence there and to, to see people throwing things and rioting in these very scenes feels very, very much like a throwback, right?
2: Well, the fact that there's walls dividing communities 23 years after the peace process began is a problem. You know, I always say that the Good Friday Agreement brought peace, but it wasn't an event, it was a process. And I think maybe we've been struggling a little bit on the reconciliation side of things. You know, those two communities that are divided from each other, sometimes the gates are closed, sometimes they're completely divided, sometimes there's, you know, work goes on to try and encourage you know, sort of the removal of those, but that that has to go at the community's pace. And the areas where we saw some of the sectarian violence would be in sort of notorious interface areas. So areas where violence could have flared previously, you know, this isn't just like this is the first time this has ever happened in those particular areas. So I think that that was what was worrying for the British government and the Irish government. And it's when you heard uh, the US administration start to sort of make public commentary on you know we don't want to see this happening no it's very concerning the violence that we've seen and it's very concerning that there were such you know young people involved in it as well we had reports of children being encouraged to riot by adults we know that uh, social deprivation and perhaps lockdown fatigue from Covid restrictions has played into this so it's difficult at the best of times um, in Northern Ireland politics because we have uh, you know parties that have such very different views on identity and, and what the future of this place should be but certainly it was felt that um, anyone with any influence should use it to diffuse tensions, you know the police repeatedly called for that to happen so we have saying that. You mentioned that there's also a lot of
0: anger against British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. What does he have to say about all of this? And is he doing anything to try to get this back under control?
2: The UK government's Prime Minister Boris Johnson put out a tweet, you know, condemning the violence, which is something that would be a normal reaction. But there is a sense that the British government needs to get more involved and um, the Irish government are calling for a, a proper summit, you know, for the for the institutions and the structures that flow from the Good Friday Agreement, the, the co-guarantor role that the British and Irish governments have for that to be more of a focus. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the relationship between Britain and Ireland at the moment isn't the the strongest because of Brexit.
0: So then, what is at stake here? Going forward as we are all watching this conflict continue, what
2: what are the possible conclusions? While the, the Good Friday Agreement brought us peace, it's very important that the reconciliation is a, is a bigger factor going forward. We need to learn how to live with each other. The majority of people in Northern Ireland support peace. The majority of people uh, have relationships with people of all different backgrounds, but there are still areas that are segregated, where people live in single identity communities, where they don't get to meet or engage uh, with people from the other side as such until they're maybe at college or university or in the workplace. Uh, they're not educated together, which is a problem. So I think that we have to work really hard on all of those things. And perhaps it's about respect for each other's identity. And I think if there was that, um, if people didn't have to sort of feel fearful or worried about um, their identity, then I think perhaps we wouldn't see the, the scenes that have unfolded in recent weeks that have caused so much alarm around the world and so much interest. You know, what's happening in Northern Ireland? We thought that that was sorted out and um, all of the issues that need to be solved out hopefully will be solved out. uh, through politics rather than violence.
0: Amanda Ferguson is a freelancer for The Post in Belfast. Sabi Robinson produced this story. Many of the pro-British protesters paused the violence out of respect for the royal family following the death of Prince Philip. But it's unclear whether the riots will resume this week now that his funeral is over. Politicians are warning that there needs to be a more long-term solution put in place soon. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Renny Svarnovsky. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at postreports.com and join the conversation online using the hashtag Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.